0: Hey there, it's the real Jason Duncan. I've got a special announcement for you, really quick. I am hosting the Exit Lifestyle Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, February 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2022. You don't want to miss it. Go to
1: theexitlifestyle.com to learn more. You know, I always say that fear has a favorite food. Its favorite food is time. So when you start feeling those emotions, if you allow some time to pass, it's going to feed. And it's gonna grow big and overwhelm you and then you'll stop and, and you don't move forward. So, and then maybe I'm studying of how to prepare for a big move. And then as I get closer in my preparedness, I get more fear and then eventually it's like, Ugh, you, you wane. So I think on that trajectory to being really prepared and, and uh, figuring out what you need to do for success, we do have to, you know, we're, we're human. We're gonna feel the emotion of fear, but we have to learn how to manage it, take action quickly. And just trust like we'll acclimate we're as prepared as we're going to be but when we get the other side the rest will come
0: yeah well you and i both know that our ability to adapt will always outperform (laughs) our ability to plan yes you know to get ready for it i mean we've got to be prepared nobody can be successful without preparation but you can't rely only on your preparation your ability to adapt will outperform that
2: In today's ultra competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Well, welcome
0: back to the show. This is the root of all success, as you know, and I'm the real Jason Duncan and man. I've got a good guest for us today, like we do every week, of course. But this guy's special to me. He's had a big part of my life, played a big part in, in my development as an entrepreneur. And I'm excited to talk to him today and dig into some maybe some stories that I don't know all the details to. And we're going to get there in just a second. But I want to say before we get into the intro of our guest today, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see we're actually at the standard the Smith House right here in the Rhino Room. And the Standard is a fantastic cigar club, private club here downtown Nashville. I'm privileged to be a member. It's owned and operated by the one and only Joshua Sterling Smith. This house is 18,000 square feet of Southern sophistication style, and I love hosting shows here. So sometimes my guests and I drink a little bourbon like we're doing today, smoke a cigar. We're not doing that today, but uh, we're gonna have a good time talking and just having a conversation about success. And that's what this show is really all about. And I wanna thank you for taking the time to learn about success and to listen. So whatever podcast player you're listening on, we're syndicated on the C-Suite Radio Network. I thank you to those guys for what they do and helping us get out there to more people. I'm asking you a favor. Please go and like the show. Hit the subscribe button and uh, leave us a five-star review if you think it's worth it. If you don't think it's worth it, send me an email. We'll we'll talk about how I can make the show better for you. But my goal is to bring you high-quality guests and interesting stories that help you get to success. That's what the root of all success is is all about. So let's go ahead and let me talk about today's guest, Dan Vega. Dan Vega is my guest today. Dan and I met a few years ago, I guess what, three years ago. And, and we were introduced, um, through some interesting ways how we got to know each other. Well, I don't know that we'll get into how, <laughs> to how we met one another, but we're introduced to one another. And, uh, this guy has been a, he started his first business at age of 19. He's been uh, a consultant, a coach, He's been a talk show host. He's had uh, 35 million viewers on a television talk show where he talked about business and entrepreneurship. He, uh, he co-founded a book publishing company. He's uh, been on the circuit as a, as a uh, seminar, running seminars, is an investor, has worked with tons of private investors, whether it's private equity, venture capital, angel investors, et cetera. The guy knows business and he knows it really well. And what's interesting about Dan, and we're gonna talk a little bit about this today on the show, <laughs> is that he, he has this background in mathematics that is really unique, that not most people understand math the way that he understands math. And he, I'll ask him to tell a little bit about that story today. And what he, his, his thesis, his theory is that every problem, whether it's business, personal, life, whatever it is, can be reduced down to, and not reduced in the bad way, like it doesn't make any sense, but, or, or that's trivial, but reduced down to math and hard variables. And if you can figure out the probability of success you can get there. So we're going to talk about that today. And I know I left out a lot of cool other stories about Dan. And uh, but he's a fantastic guy. He's a good friend of mine, has been instrumental, like I said, in helping me uh, refocus my life as an entrepreneur. And I'm honored to welcome Dan Vega to the show today. Dan,
1: thanks for having me. Well, welcome to Nashville. Glad you're back. And I love the Rhino Room, man. This is
0: awesome. (laughs) This is a great place. Well, we used to record the shows for those that watch this on YouTube. There's a room around the corner called the Matador Room, and it's got a big table. You can seat 10 people yeah. around it. And I started recording there, but it, it, was, uh, and it was fine. But <clears throat> I went and recorded on site at a hangar, a private hangar one time, and the only place to sit up, they just had some comfortable couches and chairs set up in the hangar. And after I did that show, I'm like, we had to move. I can't sit in a, a, a chair anymore, like just at a table. I need to yeah. sit. So that's why we moved into here, so it's very comfortable.
1: Gosh, I have so many interesting friends. <laughs> I'm in a hangar. A...
0: Uh, well, <laughs> much more man. glamorous on, on uh, YouTube and uh, in the podcast world. <laughs> so, Dan, um, you and I met uh, a few years ago, and I called you after I was aware of who you were and said, hey, man, I need some help with a specific issue. And you helped connect me to some people and to some ideas that really helped solve a big, major entrepreneurial problem I was having. So, you you've been doing that, not just for people like me for a long time, but how did you get your first start as an entrepreneur at 19?
1: So both of my parents, I was raised in the LA area, and they never had a lot of financial success. And uh, so after graduating high school, barely, uh, (laughs) I, uh, we had family friends that lived in Florida. And we I knew a guy, he was a friend of my father's that was eighth grade educated, uh, multimillionaire self made guy. And and uh, I went down, visited him, and I said, hey, Victor, you know, what am I gonna do? I tried two jobs for like two months, and I'm like, I don't think I'm cut out for this. And uh, I actually, early on, I did have some really good mentors that wanted to take an interest in me and mentor me, but I wasn't sure exactly which direction to go. And he said, Dan, let me ask you a question. How much capital, Bubba, how much capital could you come up with? I said, I don't even, like, not a lot. He said. I said, maybe 300 bucks. <laughs> he said, get, get, get your hands on 300 bucks. Call me, I'm going to show you how to start a business. So I started a business with 300 bucks when I was 19, buying and selling used equipment, like for stripping floors and janitorial and vacuums, and started making really good money. And I was like, wow, this is, so that was my kind of taste as an entrepreneur. And who is this guy? This guy's name is Victor Stevens, still alive, lives right down the street from me. He's in his 80s very close friend of mine, kind of like a second, really a father figure. And uh, just an incredible guy. He just, he started running ads in the newspapers and selling mattresses and built a 20,000 square foot warehouse thing. And just a really smart entrepreneur, one of them, you know, uh, just rare, rare breed. How did, how long did you run that, that particular business? So I started running it the way he taught me running it out of like storage sheds and running ads and I was making six figures, and it was like, I think the minimum wage at the time was three thirty-three dollars an hour, something like that. And then I went into a storefront, ran that uh, retail for a few years. I sold it when I was probably 21, and uh, I had a really good contact that was selling medical equipment for, like, respiratory kind of stuff. So I have, like, two paths, because for the math thing that you mentioned earlier at the opener, I had these mentors that wanted to kind of take me down this lane, but also, you know, I had this other real tangible businesses where I was making some money going this way and I didn't know how to bridge those two things, so. So when you got into the respiratory equipment, I think I've
0: heard a story or two about some really cool sales that you made in the respiratory thing.
1: Could you, could you share one of those stories? Yeah, so as I had these great mentors wanting to use my math skills and they were big business guys The third or fourth guy that I worked with, he says, look, kid, you're in a really unique situation because you're going to work with the most successful people in the world with the biggest companies, and although you're in an an NDA now, one day you won't be, and you can, so you need to pay attention, you need to learn everything you can learn. But he says, the one thing you're not going to, he says, experience is very, knowledge is very different from experience. Just knowing what they do and knowing, that's one thing, but you need experience, and he says, let me make a, a recommendation is, you need to learn. You need to get in the people business. You need to learn people. That's the part you're not gonna. So that kind of made sense to me of like, okay, so I can do this other thing, while I'm learning because being in direct sales and getting into medical, that's gonna throw you into the fire as far as learning people. And so I, I figured it out. You know, I've always been this guy as uh, try to listen twice as much as I talk. I talk a lot, so that's a lot of listening. <laughs> but. uh so, anyways, I, I just wanted to observe and keep my mouth shut and try to learn everything I can, ask a lot of questions. And, uh, you know, started making a million a year pretty young. Like, this is awesome. I didn't have a lot of the financial training of, you know, how to save money, invest, those things. But, you know, when you're young, you're bulletproof and you're just, there's pl- plenty of time, right? Right. And so, uh, moved around from different companies. A lot of the uh, companies would offer me, you know, free inventory they'd give me hey you're really crushing it at this one place we'll give you 150,000 hundred and fifty thousand worth of free inventory if you come aboard with us to sell i was like uh yeah so i moved around a little bit but you know so it. where does the math come
0: in you've got some a condition that makes you see numbers differently than other people would it talk about that <laughs> oh
1: so uh <laughs> yeah so since i was really young i've uh i have a condition uh, called synesthesia and it's, uh, it's very similar to, like, a form of autism. Believe me, you know I'm, I'm a mess in many aspects of my life. I have people. <laughs> uh, but so there's a lot of drawbacks. <clears throat> but really, in short terms, what happens is your five senses kind of get crossed. So, like, some people can smell color or see music or, you know, and it's very confusing. And like I said, there is some drawbacks. But sometimes what happens as a result is you have a high inertia towards certain things like music. Or so for me, I've always had a really good understanding of math since I was very young. And um, you know, when I was about 13, people started taking notice. Even though I was getting terrible grades in school, I wasn't applying myself. I had a, My home life was not great, so I didn't care. But um, because of that, that did open doors and led to some really great people wanting to take an interest in me, fortunately, and mentor me. But the way it works, if you want to know, and I, I don't talk about this a lot, so you're getting the exclusive. <laughs> uh, it's it's a, a little bit uh, strange for me to talk about. But <clears throat> So when people talk in anything that has a foundation of of mathematics, so whether it be business, marketing, music, most things have a foundation in math. While they're talking, I basically see like a like a landscape in my head that fills in. So, um, and every color represents a certain thing. So for instance, you know, the number 10,000 looks kind of like a, like a yellow fish. So kind of, so if if I'm talking to an entrepreneur and he's talking about capture rate and we're going to get 1% of the market and here's how we're going to do it while he's talking, I can see color filling in and if there should be a break in the color, let's say gray area, I would stop him and say, that part right there, that's not going to work. If he says, well, what, what will work? I don't know the answer, right? It's not like Rain Man where it's like 587. <laughs> but I can manipulate the math and move it in different sequences until the color fills in, and I'll say, that, that'll work. And it's just congruent. So when they break that kind of uh, congruency, it means that the, in, the variables they've now introduced are not congruent with the stuff they've been telling me. And... Uh, and so anyways, that's an interesting thing. And as you know me as a friend, sometimes I have a habit of breaking eye contact where people are talking to them like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of distracting because stuff's popping up. And as you know, I, my pet peeve, I don't like to drive a lot. I have a driver because while I'm driving, sometimes if I take in data and I'm looking at, it'll flash up almost. And I don't know where I am and I can't almost see. And it's very dangerous for people traveling with me. <laughs> So a lot of times people with the type of synesthesia I have, they have problems.
0: So when did you notice though, Like, so that's a condition or a, or a situation you've been dealing with for a long time and you could see things that people can't see. But when did you realize that that could be to your advantage as a business person, as an entrepreneur?
1: Well, I learned that it could be an advantage. I was very young, 13, 14. I, I could see how to move things. So we would have people coming over <laughs> this sounds really bad, but I'd have the neighbors coming over and doing my chores and this and my mom would always joke with me about being this little kingpin of all these guys coming. (laughs) And I'm like, No, mom, I'm not taking advantage of them. I'm making sure they get what they want. You know, so I, I, I would use it to where I would say like, this person is out of congruency. There's no congruence here. And what do they need? And I would learn how to every time the colors congruent, it's a good thing. And there's a reward. And every time I'm operating in the gray, not in the gray area, but in the gray box, uh, stuff doesn't work out. So I put it together very quickly, and I'd say by the time I was 19, people were wanting to work with me and hire me to build business plans, to build pitch decks for funding, and or even corporations when they were doing their masterminding for the next, projections for the next year, hey, come and make sure our variable's right, we don't have any you know, breaks in the chain, so to speak. So yeah. by I was monetizing it, you know nineteen twenty, but uh and you've had
0: people notice that in you and say i want you to come work on my team which is kind of how you got started getting notoriety people wanted to talk to the dan vega like how do i get in yeah this i think game? by the
1: time i was 20 i had the secretary that so i'm running this direct sales stuff trying to run basically for all practical purposes a franchise and uh but then people would fly in and be like hey i'm from Silicon Valley, I got this company, like, where is it broken? And they would pay me a rate, I would go through it, wrong, 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 well, what? what's right, leave it with me for an hour. And they would pick it up, and that was kind of the deal. So I did a lot of those, but it led to some really great mentors um, that taught me a lot, and they took an interest in me. You know, I was very transparent with them. I said, look, how do I save money? Like, how would, should I, what should I do with the money? Like, I was just, they knew I was a kid, And they gave me great advice. And about the fifth or sixth mentor, I met a guy that was uh, at the time one of the Forbes 400, he was like the number 25 on the Forbes list. And he, me and him just kind of clicked, kind of filled a void I think for each other. And he became a great mentor and friend, so. And that was one of your people to help you get propelled into the world of
0: business. Now you went from running businesses and doing direct sales and eventually into the seminar business. Talk about how that transition happened.
1: Well, I was always adamant about having a daily sales meeting. And if you've ever run those, and I know you have, it's a mixture of sales, but a lot of it's motivation and you're getting everybody kind of together and getting them, you know, emotionally kind of charged. And so I would have to do a lot of studying. I, I, I was young, so a lot of the people that worked for me were half my age. So I had to make sure I would, so I'd go to, there was a little books a million by my house. And I would go over there and I would spend a couple hours every morning working up like a talk. And then I would go run my morning meeting at 10. And I did that for a long time and that, you know, was a condition to where I started getting a lot of content and laying down these meetings. And I remember one time this guy, I was probably mid 20s, the guy worked for me was in his late 40s. And he was new and I did this meeting and he says, look, I gotta be honest with you. You know, originally when I found out you were the boss and you're half my age, kind of had a little bit of a problem. But after the meet, I've been sitting in your meetings, man, I am like honored to work for you. And, you know, so I thought this could have a different life. This could grow a little farther. And some of my mentors, most of them were three times my age. So they were writing books. They were in the seminar business. They were investors. And so that became kind of a natural uh, trajectory for when me. When did you do your first seminar where people paid to come listen to you talk? Well, my first seminar was I was forced uh, to speak because this guy Bill, he was very wealthy, and obviously, and very successful. We were at a very big event, probably 5000 people. And he didn't tell me he was going to do this. I'm like his guy, you know, I'm trying to learn and make sure he's got everything he needs. And he recruits the audience against me to come up on stage. And, uh, and speak, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so finally I get up there and he's got them, you know, against me now. So I get up and I'm like, I don't know what to talk about. He goes, just here's a here's a marker on a, on a thing that he'll project in this stadium. And he's like, uh, just do what you do with me in one of our sessions. Like, I'll give you a problem to solve. Like, just let's work on something. So, so Dan, and he, he presents a, a question and I, kind of lose my mind and I get on there and I'm just showing kind of lose myself a little bit I turn around and the audience like crickets everybody's like and that was kind of the. so I started getting asked I think within maybe a couple of months I started getting paid to to speak that's that. great yeah. so Bill so Bill was the guy that oh, yeah, yeah. said all right I'm gonna I'm gonna sneak you up on stage against yeah. your will <laughs> I, I think afterwards I was almost throwing up I was so why did you do that to me and
0: So then you, was it, how long after that experience did you say, think, wow, there's a way to make money? And of course, obviously you're helping impact people and do positive change, but there's a way to really
1: make a business out of this seminar thing. How long did it take for you to figure that out? Not long. And as you mentioned, you know, I think for people like yourself and you know this, it's, it's always about the impact. You know, I wasn't learning from these guys and doing it to make money. I was making money with the first company and I could always figure out how to calculate right and and make profits, but it's about the impact and really doing something that is significant for others and being others-focused and providing value, and as you know, and this just seemed like a way that I could do that, and, you know, I was just giving what I learned from these great mentors, and, you know, I guess some would say my gift as well, I would just, and people loved it, and it helped people. So very quickly, I learned that this is, Probably the route I want to go. The part I didn't know is how to do it professionally. And I met a guy named Peter Lowell That uh, he used to run a, a seminar uh, thing called Get Motivated, and it's like state. It's like the Super Bowl for business people. So it's like stadiums, and they have ex-presidents and you know uh, all the Tony Robbins and Branson, all the biggest guys. And you go there for a day and you cheer on your favorite entrepreneur. And he ran it. And he told me, he gave me really good advice. He says, listen, everybody's in the seminar business. I mean, these are the guys that grew up reading their books, Zig Ziglar and Les Brown and all the, and they were all on the show. And I was like, this is crazy. He said, but 1% of the seminar business controls the other 99% of the seminar business. So what you have to learn is you have to learn the the mathematical kind of equation to fill the room. He's like, if you could fill the room, you can share the stage with anybody you want, because that's part no one wants to do. So that was great advice because that's something that I really focused on of and then I would get guys that were fifty thousand for a keynote and I'd say, Look, I don't have fifty thousand to pay you, but I'll give you two grand and I'll make sure there's fifteen hundred people there and they would say, Okay, could I sell my stuff? So I got to start sharing the stage with these incredible people because I kind of focused on that certain aspect of the of the seminar. What
0: business. was the one thing in all your seminars what, that was the most popular? What concept did you teach that everybody seemed to flock towards?
1: That's a great question and it can get a little complex. I'll give you the very brief version. But, you know, Aristotle believed that any problem that people face, and of course, he was mentoring Alexander the Great, which we see how much success he had at the time, basically conquering the known world. But he said, any problem that we face, there's a mathematical uh, Equation that if we can find the right equation and execute it, it would give us immediate remedy for whatever we're dealing with. And this includes most sickness and like whatever we're dealing with. Um, And I, I know this to be true. So I think the main thing is anybody that has a really good work ethic and consistent, you know, that they can execute, there's an equation for them. So you see a lot of people right now on social platforms and They're selling these certain things, and it's like, if you want to be successful, follow this, right? And that's kind of through their their purview, right? you got to get into real estate, or you got to get into that. And there's there's money made in all those fields, but that's what they did. And a lot of people can follow that, but it's difficult if you're not using their metrics. So what's possible is to do a quick interview with someone, figure out what their variables are, what their strengths, weaknesses, what their tools are, and then build a mathematical equation or strategy based on those variables. And then you need two endpoints, right? So how much money do I want to make? What time frame? And what field do you want to do it? And then from there, you can actually create an equation that will give you the action steps for them to be able to do it. And what I've seen over the last particularly 25 years, anybody can be wealthy in 60 months or less if you got the right math. And you gotta be able to execute it, but most of the time, if I wrote somebody, here's how to make 10 million in a year and gave them the plan, they might not be able to follow up it because it's gonna require them to do things they can't do. But if I wrote it based on their variables, they've probably already executed all of those things that's gonna be required, maybe just not in this particular sequence or order, but they know how to do each piece. So the probability for successes is much more
0: i know one of the things that you you've taught me in working with me and as a as a consultant when you work with me and you were the consultant helping me was this idea of probability of success if you can isolate your probability of success then you know which way to go
1: and i think that sounds to me like what you're what you're talking about yeah i mean as we both kind of follow i don't care much about what's possible because i think most things are possible right and i certainly i think both of us hang out with some guys that they're Everything in their world is possible if you said hey, you know You need to be the first human to be able to fly without any apparatus. They'd be like how much time do we got to figure? Like nothing is impossible in their world So I think most things are possible, but I don't care about what's possible. I think about probability rate So if people invite me as an investor to come in and invest or to collaborate on a joint venture or whatever It's unemotional for me. I have a very fixed probability rate and I calculate what is the probable outcome of this before i put any time or investment even my time i won't do it now if it's leaning towards a fairly high probability rate then i'm all in but if it's like hey you there's a two percent chance probability rate that this will work i'm out regardless of how sexy it is or how attractive they make the offer i won't bet on that even if it's with me You know what I mean? So I I really follow the probability of things.
0: so. So you did the seminar business and you talked about the probability of success and how the metrics and the variables can be aligned to get you more quickly towards success. When did you move out of the seminar business into investor,
1: coach, consultant? When did that happen? So while I was in the seminar business, naturally, you start coaching. Right. And, or vice versa, if you become a coach, as you know, you start speaking, right? They just go hand in hand. People that see you at the seminars, they want you to coach them. And, and so that was kind of a, you know, simultaneous, I started doing that as much as I could. But, um, and and of course I started doing some investing as well, because you got to make sure your money's making money and not dying in an account somewhere. Um, but in 2011, so I was on a full-time uh, tour and we were organized we, we were two cities a week 45 weeks a year. I mean every week um, Doing two seminars, and I was gone five days a week, and I had a at the time my son was three years old So I knew I was on a ticking clock of like I don't know how much longer I can be away, you know and I, I thought this is probably this is a season that's probably needs to come to an end so I can be home as a father And, uh, I went to Africa on a tour and I had a weird situation there. (laughs) Uh, I know the situation. I'll let you tell it if you want um, to. (laughs) So when I got back, I said, you know, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I had an opportunity. I had mentored a young man that was like 30 years old, 29 years old. He had aspirations to start a book publishing company. And I basically made him a deal. I said, look, give me a year as an assistant. be my assistant, give me a year to educate you and teach you some stuff. And then I'll back you financially, whatever you want to do. Well, he had aspirations of being a book publisher, very brilliant young guy. And the year was about up. So when I got back from Africa, I said, you know, this is probably time to make that transition. So that was in uh, 2011, kind of came off the road. Are you committed at that point full time to run the book publishing? Or was there, uh, were there other things you were doing simultaneously? (laughs) I told the guy, I said, look, I'm going to, We don't know book publishing as anything, but you know how entrepreneurship is. I said, look, I'll keep the doors open. You gotta learn publishing, man. So try to find some mentors. I mean, that's always the key, right? Find great mentors quickly. Find great mentor, uh, maybe Random House, McGraw-Hill, Simon Schuster, whatever. Let's learn this thing, let's let's fail fast and take this curve and then I'll keep the doors open. And uh, he was great with people. He built some great relationships. And basically what I said is I'll put 20 hours in And I'm going to let you kind of run the helm, and if you get, I'm always a phone call away. But you're going to be the managing partner. And uh, I had an opportunity as well at the time to to throw my hat and do a little bit of television stuff, and that sounded like a nice thing that would keep me in that one spot to raise a kid and and uh, something I kind of wanted to explore. And that was Tuesdays with Dan, and you did that on ABC
0: as a business talk show. (laughs) That is really curious to me, and you and I have never spoke about your TV show,
1: but I want to know. How did that opportunity present itself? So <clears throat> when I was in, I was doing a lot of seminars and a lot of the, so we have like five or six regions in the country and we would go into those regions and you know, build audience, right? And so Southern California being that I was raised there, that was a big hub for us. I was doing a seminar in Orange County, California and I was just doing the, what I do, you know, math based kind of stuff. And, this guy came up to me after the seminar and he said, dude, you gotta be on television, man. There's a guy named Donnie Deutsch with the big idea, I think CNBC, he's like, he just went off the air, you, you gotta get on television. And I worked for the networks, you know, on that bill. Everybody in Hollywood is with the networks, so you don't know what's right or not. <clears throat> but this guy actually did work with the networks for NBC. And uh, I went in, I had a meeting at the time and they did offer me a show. Uh, Like a late night show. I think it was like after Dave Letterman or you know, it was late night um, interviewing like entrepreneurs and and celebrities and the deal would have kept me in Los Angeles and We had decided to move to the Midwest for a while. So my mom could be near her You know, we knew we were having kids and LA is hard with children sometimes. So uh, anyways, we passed on the deal but it did plant a seed in my head. So now I'm meeting these great entrepreneurs like yourself. I'm just my like, God, that guy would have been a great guest on my show, you know? And so when I got <clears throat> into the area I was going, um, ABC said, we'd give you a deal. We can't start you nationally like what they were gonna do, but we'll start you regionally in three or four states. And if the ratings are good, we'll expand it nationwide. And so that's that's kind of what happened. That's the
0: So that's really interesting. You yeah. turned down first opportunity because yeah. of location. Location didn't make yeah. sense.
1: And timing of the seasons, the yeah. things I had already Season,
0: Seasons are so yeah. important to us. Now, then you eventually did start the show, and you're doing Tuesdays with Dan, which eventually became the Dan Vegas Show. Yeah. Uh, how
1: many years did you do the show? I did six seasons. Wow. And um, I'll tell you, this is a really... Uh, and I love what you're doing and you're doing it exactly the right way. I didn't, I had to learn all this. I didn't know anything about media, but <clears throat> when I went in and met with ABC, they were really excited to talk to me. They did like this little test thing. They were like, man, what? So tell us how, tell us about your show. So I go in with all these executives. They're like, tell us about your show. I don't have a show. I have an idea from a previous thing I turned down. So I'm like, uh Picture this. I'm just talking. And they're like, we love it. So is the show more like this or more like that? I'm like, it's kind of like that, but not really. Like, I don't have a show. <laughs> <clears throat> so by the time we left there, they said, look, it's great. And we're going to figure out a small salary. And you come into the studio and we're going to film the show. And I'm basically a paid host. And that's something occurred to me is like when you watch these late night television shows, even the ones that have huge, big audiences, they're a salaried host but they don't own the content or any of the intellectual property, nor do they control who's gonna be on their platform or what the platform's gonna be used for. And that's not great for entrepreneurs. So I'm like, I don't like that. I, I need to own the content. I wanna do my own show. And they said, well, you can't, can't do that. And they had just finished telling me 98% of television fails the first season. And then they said, well, the only way you could own your own intellectual property, if you build your own studio, you're gonna to have to get your own team. It's a large investment. So I leveraged what they had told me against. I said, well, you told me 98% of television fails the first season anyways. So I'm willing to take the risk, probably not even gonna make it, but I'll go ahead and build, I need to own the content. Because I had background in the seminar business, I could stack the deck. I knew a lot of you know, very successful people with a following. So my, I, I was able to get those first 10 interviews, which you know are so crucial. And, uh, and then of course we made it. And, ratings, and we expanded the show from there. And you had 35, 40 million people listening to the show
0: or watching the show.
1: Yeah, eventually we had, I think actually at one time we got up around 50 million viewers and uh, all of the markets couldn't have it under Tuesdays with Dan because some of the markets couldn't play it on Tuesdays, they'd play it on Wednesdays. Yeah. So they said, look, you're three quarters of the way there, but if you want it nationwide, you're going to have to change the name. Cause we can't guarantee that it's going to air on Tuesdays. So that's why we had the name change. We did the last two seasons, I think under the Danby. And why did you, why did you stop filming the show again? It was, uh, <clears throat> so this was in 2016. And I was a little bit tired to be honest with you. I had interviewed pretty much at the time, uh, you know, who I wanted to interview. And we filmed in front of a live studio audience. So there was like 150 people every filming and that's a big component itself organizing that. And um the biggest reason was the bureaucracy with with a major network, you know. For instance, I had one of these kids that from American Idol, you know, and he was talking about the golden ticket and the thing, you know, the whole experience of it. And I wanted to do, so I'm interviewing this we we did this uh episode on young millionaires and how they got their start and he was one of the the young uh, people. And so I wanted to do a throw out while I was interviewing him to him being on the show and and say take a look at this kind of a thing. And I had a, it was like 6 weeks of trying to get permission just to use a 30 second clip and everything started to become very hard and there was all these rigid rules. It just wasn't fun anymore. And so I thought, well, I had an opportunity at the time to write for another television show. They had a one season 12 episode commitment of a show, and I had never done anything like that before. I thought, you know, let me put the show on hiatus, and then I'm gonna do this other thing, and I'm gonna think about my next move. And then when I got back to it, I started realizing, you know, the big networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, they were really starting to lose their grip. Now, mind you, it's 2016, so this was before, you know, we weren't, you didn't have all these streaming platforms. But at the time, I could see the writing on the wall that things like Netflix, and Hulu, and Amazon, and Roku, they were becoming the titans. And the other people were kind of losing the grip, so I thought, if we come back on the air, we're probably gonna go streaming. And, uh, and that's what we, we did for a little bit. And you've got a studio, you've got a, a television, I don't know what you call it,
0: a streaming network now, Blue TV?
1: Yeah, Blue TV. Um, and, and I occasionally will, you know, uh, if I see somebody that uh, I really just gotta interview, uh, I'll do an occasional thing and we, we have our own platform and we have about 25 original shows and we have maybe 50 other type things. It's, it's still in the works, honestly. Um, but it's fun, and it, we get out to a great audience, we can own our pro- our property, our content, and uh, and I can do it. It's not so rigid, I can do it when I want, but uh, I don't have to follow so many rules.
0: <laughs> so you've got a lot going on now where you spend a lot of your time um, doing investing. You're looking at deals all the time as an investor, accredited investor. Um, but you also, you do a little bit of coaching, not as much as you used to do, a little bit of coaching consulting. What's the most, what's the most exciting thing you're doing right
1: now? Like what we'll gets your juices flowing that you really enjoy? So I don't do a lot of <clears throat> coaching anymore. I, I, I do it for a few clients just because it's fun. And so I coach a couple of NFL guys. I coach a lady that owns a sports team and uh, a CEO that's a friend. So I, I do it enough to keep my finger on the pulse and it's fun. You know, um, The investing stuff is, uh, it, it's, it, you have to do it, right? You want to make a certain return on your money. And, and I look at money as obviously it's a tool, but I, I look at it as like, they don't need to, you don't have to feed them. They're not cranky, they, they work 24 seven. There's no laws, no labor laws. Like I want those to go out there and multiply and work hard for me and make a lot of babies. And so the investor thing though, I have a great partner. Uh, I think in the last 12 months, we've invested in about 36 companies. So three a month is pretty aggressive, but it's, it's very cut and dry decision. What's the rate of probability? Here's the numbers. What is it? Yes or no, yes or no. And it's just, so I don't, it's not a passion, but it's, we're successful at it. But uh, I think right now where I really spend a lot of my time is just mentoring others. You know, I don't have a personal objective anymore of trying to make any more money or trying to gain more personal influence. Um, I I really just wanna help others get the shot that I did. I was this young guy, cocky, that thought he knew way more than he actually knew. And somebody gave me a shot and said, hey, let me teach you the right stuff. So I always remember that and I wanna do that. And um, so for the last several years, I've really just been focused on mentoring and helping others and i, I love that I, I that's really what gets me out of bed
0: well i can see that in you because i know you personally and i know what you do for people like me and you helped uh you know i hired you and and uh, an associate of yours to come in and do some investigative consulting work <laughs> that's yeah. the way i called it in, <laughs> in my business a few years back three years ago and uh really kind of reset the trajectory of what i wanted to accomplish and And, uh, so I, I, I can see that that's where the glisten and the gleam in your eye comes in as, as spending that time doing the mentoring. Well, let me ask you this. So I ask every guest this question. It's about success. After all, the name of the show is the root of all success. You from all indications on this side of the couch, looking at you, it's like you're a successful guy. You've made a lot of money. You've made a lot of impact, had a lot of cool experiences and you met a lot of neat people, but how do you define that term success?
1: As I'm sure we both agree, I mean, there's a lot of terms, and there's a lot of variables that go into, I guess, encompassing the term, but for me, it's about balance. You know, I, um, I think for me, success encompasses five or six things, so <clears throat> I don't preach at others what I believe, but personally, my faith comes number one for me, family, you know, sometimes you just got to walk away from a deal. It's not, right? Right. Um, It might be financially lucrative, but you might not have the time. You have other things happening. I think financial independence is one thing, one aspect of it, certainly. But I think a couple that, you know, giving back, right, impact, I think a couple that people really forget, one of them is is just joy. You know, we might find the metrics of how to, you know, make a lot of money and, still and maybe not get a divorce and still go to church on Sundays but if we wake up every morning like what time is it oh god like we're just grinding and we hate it that's not really success either Mm -hmm. so and and I think the older I get this one is becoming much higher on that balance of like uh, you know at the end of the day I want to be a good person I want to I try to maintain a high moral code is you know I'm not perfect but try to do the best I can but at the end of the day I just want to do a lot of really, really cool stuff with people that I care about. I want to be happy. You know what I mean? I want to do some really great stuff with people around me that I really love. Not just family and friends, but just new relationships, people that, are, that get it. You know, you, you told me a story this morning of a, a young man I, we think worked for Amazon or whatever, and he's like, how do I get a house like this? And the passion, I, I could see when you were telling me, it's just like, oh, dude. Like that's the kind of people we want to find Yeah, and that's what I I live for. So that's, that's a big part of success uh, for me. uh, is just impacting others and and having some joy in my life at this time. So with that as the background for the definition, do you consider yourself to be successful? I do. You know, I think that, uh, uh, people comment on this all the time and I take it as a great compliment, but they say, man, you're always laughing. You know, every time I think about you, you're like cracking up. I think I'm a pretty jovial, happy person overall. And, you know, not that I don't have my share of problems in business or challenges or family dynamics, but overall I roll with things. And I think my outlook, as you know, the mindset is a huge part of it, but, uh, I, am very happy. And even the things that a lot of people would deem mistakes that people make, in man, those were such great learning. Uh, things for me to, to look at the data and say, oh, man, I'll never do that again, laugh it off and move to the next thing and not stay stuck in, stuck in the past. So I, I think I'm successful and certainly very happy. Well, I, can, I would vouch for that. You are a,
0: a jovial. Jovial is a good word. That's yeah. a good word. Jovial is a good word. I've got this theory, um, and I talk about it on the show almost every, every episode, that there are these five keys that, uh, to, that unlock success for successful people. And the reason I, or the way that I came up with these is after interviewing casually dozens of interviews, just over a cigar or a glass of bourbon or a meal here at the club or other places. And I started asking, well, how did you do, how did you become successful? And I started paying attention over the years of how those answers all seem to line up, even though they use different vocabulary. And what I discovered through that process is there are these five things that show up in everybody's story without fail. And they all, I believe that they are the five keys to success. So I want to—I've heard your story. Oh, now, I want to hear them, man. I'm wanna, dying here. I, I want to go through these with you, and you can tell me where, if at all, these keys appear to your story. The first key is that of passion. Like if you—if if you are going to be successful at anything, especially in entrepreneurship, passion <clears throat> is absolutely essential. And what I mean by passion, uh, before I ask you how it appeared in your your story. What I mean by passion is that most people think about passion in terms of the emotional side, where I love it, I'm excited about it, it gives me energy. And that's certainly a part of passion and is an indicator towards success, but isn't a key. Because I believe it's the other side of passion, it's the mental side of passion. It's the passion, the word actually means willing to endure the passion of the christ was not about that he was excited to go to the cross it was that he was willing to endure for a greater cause and i find that entrepreneurs who are tremendously successful like you they are passionate mentally
1: they are willing and able to endure do you see that as a key to your success and if so how no question man i talk about this all the time and i'm so glad that you're you know that you mentioned this to your guests because everybody thinks about the other side of passion like You know, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. I get it, we all know that, and that's something you should try to figure out is how to monetize what you love. But what I also know to be true for sure is whatever your passion is, if I were to rate that on a a scale from one to 10, let's say, man, I love photography and I could tell this guy's a 10. That number also translates very directly to uh, their amount of physical energy and drive but also they're wherewithal to withstand, uh, withstand pain and discomfort. Mm-hmm. And honestly, as you know, it, as a business person, we're constantly stretching and we're kind of, it's uncomfortable. I think one of the greatest attributes to an entrepreneur is to become somewhat comfortable with discomfort, mm-hmm. right? And honestly, you, if you don't have the passion, you can't stay in the fire. So I kind of think of a guy that's a, a blacksmith, right? So. He's pounding and pounding and it's hot. and It's terrible. He's pounding. And he gets a fairly sharp edge and he, ra- he cools it and he raises it out of the fire. And that's where I get a lot of people where they become moderately successful. They cool down and they're, they're up here now. But the only way to get even a sharper edge is what? You got to go back. You got to be lowered again back into the heart. You got to take a pounding. You got to take that heat again. And they're like, I've been there. I don't like it. I don't want to go back down. They almost think like this is regressing. I'm already here, but you have to go back in it to get more refinement. To get if you want to elevate to the next level, and passion is the only key that I found that will allow yourself a successful guy like yourself to stay in the fire and get hurt. Yeah, right. Is without that passion, there's no way it's going to work.
0: So I'm glad to hear you you agree. (laughs) And I knew that I knew that you would. The second key. Uh, to success that I've seen in everybody's life as an entrepreneur who's been successful yeah. is being at the right place at the right time. That every entrepreneur can look back and go, yeah, if I hadn't have been here at this time, at this juncture, there was this timing and this place that worked out perfectly. And it could be just in time of era. Like Elon Musk could not be as successful as an electric car company in any other era than right now. So that's one place, time success key but what about for you what do you look back in your story dan and say this was kind of a right place right time for me had i not been
1: there it wouldn't have worked It's an interesting question because there's so there's a couple sides to this you know you have some people that are like there's no luck you create your own luck uh years ago this was well not years oh nine maybe uh donald trump told me he says i gotta tell you man a huge part of success is luck he's like I- i've just been at the right place right time at that time, I didn't know if I believed it. I was like, I don't know, you create your own luck. But there is times in my career I can honestly say I was at the right place at the right time. Um, now, sometimes you gotta recognize it. And for me, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs will agree with this, usually it's it's when I have those big whopping failure. I'm, I, I do something and it didn't work, right? And I'm now in this, situation where I'm gleaning and I'm trying to look at the metrics. Where do the wheels fall off? Why? It's usually from something like that that I collect the right data and then it sets me up for my next big win. And I think a lot of that is is recognizing the timing of things. You know, sometimes people give up five minutes before the miracle happens. And for me, most of the big wins that I've had probably came off of that whopping failure right after that, and I was able to get the data. So timing is a huge thing. I, I certainly believe, you know, I, I look at I, I met my wife, as you may or may not know, by running an ad in the newspaper. Uh, not a mail order, right. <laughs> but she worked for one of my companies, you know, what I mean, I kind of think if I didn't run that ad, gosh, so sometimes you just you get a little bit lucky
0: yeah well the harder you work the luckier you get you I
1: create, mean, yeah take a lot of shots you're going to get a lot luckier <laughs> yeah
0: well putting yourself in positions where you're in places like the reason that you and i are members of organizations and clubs that we're members of is because we know that if we put ourselves in those places eventually something yeah. cool is going to happen success is going to come on the back end of that well the third key to success get passion right place right time is knowing the right people and you already talked about two people in particular Victor yeah, and Victor. Is it Bill or? Yeah, Bill. Bill? Yeah, uh-huh. Bill. Victor and Bill. So, do you agree that those, knowing those people,
1: were people that helped get you un- to unlock success? I don't know where I would be without those contacts and many others. Um, I remember, <clears throat> so part of my success, I think, is I'm so stubborn. I will just keep going full force at a wall thinking like eventually, mathematically, the probability, I'll, I'll break it. I just keep, like the definition of insanity, I'll just keep hitting it, thinking I'm gonna get a different result. And I remember Bill saying, he didn't wanna help me because to help me, he wanted he couldn't stand to watch it He goes, Dan, I watch you do this thing over and over and over expecting a different result. It's crazy. Can I just please tell you how to get around this and, do, and like actually uh, achieve what you're trying? Because I, I can't bear to watch this anymore. If it wasn't for him, me, it was for him. He's like I, And what I learned is that stuff that would take me, like obstacles that were in our way, which happens to all of us, that would take me months or even a couple of years to get around, they could pick up a phone call and, or just show me a little thing that I can get right around it in a matter of days or weeks. And when I saw that firsthand a few times, I'm like, I gotta really start getting in the right circles and meeting the right people. You know. I hate when people say it's not what you know till you know, because as we both know, you gotta know some stuff. There mm-hmm. is a lot to learn and most people are not successful because they don't have the right type of education. They're missing some dots and they need to hire people like yourself to get the dots, right? We know that, but the higher you get in business, the higher you get in success, it becomes more about those contacts and who you know and who you collaborate with. And I think also, as you know, aligning yourself with those people not just who align with you in business, but when it comes to morals and ethics, people that you feel evenly yoked with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't want to be tied to somebody long-term in a business if I don't feel like we're, we're evenly yoked. But certainly those relationships are, are key.
0: Well, I think it's interesting that you talk about the what you know and who you know, because the fourth key is preparation, which is the what. It's are you prepared for the success in the industry or the venture that you're attempting. And your preparation, I look back, and as I heard your story, I was trying to pick out, well, where did he get prepared for success to become the multimillionaire and the consultant and the TV host and all? Like, how did that happen? Well, the preparation was early on in your life. You were prepared because you had this mental ability to see math in a different way. That prepared, That was preparation. And then you sold those uh, cleaning goods and things, and then yeah. you sold the respiration equipment all of that prepared you because had you not been able to do that bill uh, and uh, bill was it bill that put you at the in the front of the people in the Uh, seminar you know that was a preparation point about a what what you know so preparation i believe is one of the huge keys you can't be successful if you're not
1: prepared for it yeah and don't you think too it's like i was talking to my assistant about this this morning about you know and I, i think it fits hand in hand with preparation is managing fear well everybody has this emotion of fear there's stuff on a daily basis i have trepidation about but i just go through it and then and, and it allows me to continue to be prepared to prepare for something but sometimes when i'm preparing for a certain task and i start feeling that emotion of fear or trepidation you know i always say that fear has a favorite food its favorite food is time so when you start feeling those emotions if you allow some time to pass it's gonna feed and it's gonna grow big and overwhelm you and then you'll stop and, and you don't move forward. So, and then maybe I'm studying of how to prepare for a big move. And then as I get closer in my preparedness, I get more fear and then eventually it's like, Ugh, you, you wane. So I think on that trajectory to being really prepared and, and uh, figuring out what you need to do for success, we do have to, you know, we're, we're human. We're gonna feel the emotion of fear, but we have to learn how to manage it, take action quickly. And just trust like we'll acclimate we'll, we're as prepared as we're going to be but when we get to the other side the rest will come yeah
0: well you and i both know that our ability to adapt will always outperform <laughs> our ability to plan yes you know to get ready for it i mean we've got to be prepared nobody can be successful without preparation but you can't rely only on your preparation. Your ability to That's adapt right. will outperform that. Well, the fifth P is plan, and the, and the reason I use the, the word plan is that it's P. It starts with a P, and I needed an alliteration. <laughs> you got you, you got passion, place, people, preparation, and plan. And by plan, what I'm actually referring to, and I'm really interested in digging into your concept on this, is that plan is. Not a written business plan. A lot of people think that's what I mean. And there are certainly millionaires and billionaires who never had a written business plan. So that's not the thing I'm talking about, although it could help. Uh, What I mean is the plan is what is your plan to obtain and deploy the financial resources required to do your thing? Nobody can be successful with that. It requires financial resources. You're an investor now. You've invested in 36 companies in the last year. You see a lot of people who come in with plans to get money some succeed, some don't. How does plan, in, in terms of financial
1: plan, play into success, in your opinion? Honestly, it's everything, especially when you're seeking to raise capital. This is something I have to deal with, unfortunately, many times a week, every single week. You know, almost on a daily basis, people are sending me emails and pitch decks and they're trying to get money. And after they don't achieve it over of several years, we start to get into this belief system that raising capital or getting funding is difficult. Like, ah, there's not a lot of people, you know, COVID, there's not a lot of people, that is not true, man. There are so many, you know, in my circles, the number one conversation that we have with other investors is deal flow. They're like, dude, you got a lot of deal flow I could look at, I need some stuff to spend money, I need stuff to put money on the street so I can make money and I don't have to have my income tied to active hours income. So we're all looking for deal flow and for, doesn't matter what your idea is. for every pot. There's a lid. I've seen some stuff that I'm like, there's no way that guy's going to get funding. Good funding. Okay. And the reason why is because he has the right plan and he does the right work. So the number one thing to, to getting, let's just say capital is that you have to get the right perspective. Um, a lot of times I'd say that's the number one thing is we'll have a perspective from an entrepreneur. Let's say saying, okay, the investor, he's gonna to wanna to see this and he's gonna to wanna to do that and he's gonna to wanna to see this. So from his perspective, he's perceiving what the investor wants to see and wants to do and then what I probably need to present. And that is the wrong perspective. The right perspective would try to get the investor's perspective say, look, if I just inherited $50 million and I'm gonna cut bait with 10, you know, 10 million of it, you know, a 20% of my cash, what would I need to, to see or what would I need to be told to be able to, for me to do that? And getting that right perspective. So to answer that is the right plan. They're going to want to see certain things, but it's really the approach. And so here's the number one tip for actually acquiring funding: would be get to know, reach out to the investor and do not send them a pitch deck or ask them. I'm the CEO of a company like this, and I was wondering if you have any interest in investing. That's crazy. The other thing would be hey, Jason, I know you're also an investor, and uh, I would love to just build a friendship and learn a little bit about your metrics and what type of deals that you like and what type of terms that you prefer, and that's it. And then when he says, oh, I like equity deals, or I like debt loans, or I like a mixture of both, I like a convertible note, and here's the lanes I kind of invest in, and I kind of know what he's looking, and then I ask permission. I say, look, just as one fellow entrepreneur to another, I would never disrespect you and your time by sending you something unsolicited. But if I find things that fit in this lane that you play in and and that are vetted, could I send them to you? And they're like, oh yeah. Now it's asking, okay, what do you need to see from me? He's gonna tell you a plan of like, this is what you need. And then you gotta go do the work. You gotta go, you gotta put a real plan together to present. But he's telling you, these are my keys personally. Everybody skips that part and just sends them a pitch deck. It's like just throwing a ball trying to hit something and that's the wrong way. So plan is crucial, particularly in getting capital.
0: So I I, I appreciate your perspective on that for lots of reasons. But you see in your story that passion and right place, right time and people and preparation and plan all played. And I know that that happens in everybody's story. And what's funny about that is that if you're an entrepreneur looking to succeed, just look at those keys like or, or how, what's your passion level what's your ability to withstand pain and discomfort for the thing you're trying to build if it's low need to quit it's not going to work go find something else right place right time Well if you're spending all your time sitting in the office working on your deal you're not at the right place that's not the right place in the right time yeah. if you, who do you know? are you involved in organizations? are you accepting invitations to be part of things? are you going to events uh, what about preparation? what are you reading? are you are you watching are you watching YouTube videos or are you spending all your time scrolling through TikTok? I mean, what are you, what are you preparing to be successful at? Yeah. And then I love what you said about money. Like there is no shortage of money. There is no shortage of capital. I was, uh, this is a true story. So I was recently looking at purchasing a motorcycle dealership because I love motorcycles. And uh, my wife, of course, she, she's not the entrepreneur. I'm the entrepreneur. So we were talking about this. She goes, well, how are we gonna, how are we gonna get the capital to do that? I said, that is not the problem. The problem is finding the, the right dealership to buy. And uh, so what I found one that I thought it, ultimately it wasn't, but when I found this is the one, I made one phone call, literally one call and I hung up the call. I'm like, the money's ready. We can do it. We can do this right now if we want to. Now, ultimately that ended up not being the right deal, sure. but money is not the problem. Oh, man. There's so much money out there to get.
1: Oh my gosh. every Like I said, every conversation I'm having with friends, they're like, Dan, you got a lot of deal flow. We're looking for qualified deal flow. If we don't look at a lot of great stuff, we can't our money's not making money. So there is no shortage of cash. And right now, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but there's thousands of people in the U.S. becoming millionaires every day. Like there's, yeah, we've been buffaloed believing that, you know, everybody's hurting with COVID. Certainly there's some industries out there, let's say, with what's happening in the world that they're at a halt. And I get it. But man, I was talking to a, a, a young lady last night. She's like, Since COVID, it was like gasoline. We just took off, right? So you do have to make pivots in time. Same thing with 08, right? You gotta make pivots and hopefully you pivot correctly. But they don't burn the money when, when the economy goes down or some world event happens, it just shifts and you gotta, you gotta shift with it, but it's out there for sure.
0: Well, you actually the one that told me the analogy of the balloon and the money. Talk about that, I love that
1: analogy. And especially
0: for those watching this on YouTube, they can see your illustration by, that you
1: Yeah, don't. when I used to do the summers, I would actually bring a balloon, and then I would make a, a duck or a bicycle for you at the end. No, <laughs> but I would show them, you know, at that time, especially like 08, 09, Everybody had their business set up a certain way, and then the money shifted, right? So I always think about, there's a lot of uh, speculation on this of how the U.S. is broken up, but I I think really there's two groups. you got 97% of Americans in one boat, and you got 3% of Americans in another boat, right? And there's a range of that. So the 97 Americans, let's say roughly close to 300 million people, whatever it is, um, they're in a range from somewhere of can't make ends meet, can't keep food on the table, to drive a nice car, Lexus, Beamer, Mercedes, whatever, take a heck of a nice vacation a couple times a year. Other than that, no real savings, right? Somewhere like they're making it at best. And then you have 3%, which are at least asset rich millionaires, right? And then you got the 1%, right, that has all the wealth. So the economy, what happens is the air constantly shifts between these two groups. So if there's a balloon and I grab it here, all the air is gonna go over here. If I grab it over here, all the air goes over here. Same amount of air, it just keeps shifting to the other side of wherever the pressure's applied. So if you think about something like, um, you know, uh, the 80s, the 80s, for the most part, there was a brief recession, I think in 83, but then overall, it was considered the decade of, of excess, right? And so uh, it, whoever the masses, whatever the loudest voices dictates what everybody believes. So when you have 97% of people saying the economy is great, that's what's gonna be the media, we have a great economy. Uh, The three percenters, they're making money but it's not their heydays, okay? Then when you have a down economy like an 08 or COVID happens, all that money now, there's pressure applied here and it all moves to this little tiny group. The same amount of volume, over 97% moves to this little tiny group. And the masses are saying, what? Terrible economy, we're in a recession, you can't hire good people, all these things. The other people over here are saying, dude, how long is this going to last? It's like, right, they're buying everything half off, and right? And so I always think about it. And I you have to play both sides. So sometimes I have companies set up uh, because the market is dictated to to the 97% and I got a catcher's man and I've created systems. But when the economy shifts and the air moves, I don't sit there saying, I just, I'm gonna wait for it to come back and keep feeding a a thing, waiting for the air to come back. That's what happened in uh, the Great Depression is the air moved and everybody waited and hoarded and hunkered down and they misjudged the timeline and they, it was like traumatic. They had like forms of PTSD. They became hoarders after that because they just, it was traumatic. And so instead of waiting for the air to come back depleting all your money is, hey, the air just shifted. I need to stop this and I need to go set up a different mechanism on this side. So chances are, if you think about an event like a 2008, in 2007, whatever you were doing, probably is not what you would wanna do after September of 08, right? You need to build a different mechanism. And so you look at these companies, even these great big brands with these big names that go out of business. And it's like they were waiting and just bleeding until the air shift. And it doesn't sometimes. Well, I love what you
0: said. The air shifting in the balloon is a great visual because I'm a visual learner. But you also said they didn't burn the money. I think that's such a great... The money is still there. It's out
1: there. If anything, they're printing more of it. But it's, it's now... So I think of like LA, New York. If you've ever... I'm from Los Angeles. It's so spread out. You fly in, there's just lights any direction forever. You go to New York, it's all... It's the same amount of people, but it's in a really small, it's really crowded, right? And so I think about it like that, like, when, when, I, when the money's spread out over this big area, you know what I mean? The, the general tone will be it's a good economy, but then you get that much air, that much volume to shift into this little tiny city, or this little area, it's like you can't throw your net fast enough. You know what I mean? You can't put enough, and I know you've probably experienced this as well as, it's not that there's no money out there or money to be made, we're just trying to pick how we want to do it. Like I, I'm saying no to things all the time that I can make money on. I'm like, there's too many ways. I have to pick the way I'm gonna do it, That's great. It's crazy. So I want to ask this question as we
0: kind of land the show and land this conversation. There are a lot of people who listen to this show that are very successful entrepreneurs that eclipse your success, my success combined. And then there's entrepreneurs that are on the other end of the spectrum that are just starting or haven't yet started. I want to ask you as a very successful entrepreneur, a business coach, talk show host, someone who understands money and numbers. What would you say to that on the, on the first front
1: end of the spectrum of entrepreneurship, what's your advice to him or her? A couple of things. One thing is, um, you do have to get into something that you're passionate about because like we were talking about, if you're not a nine or a 10 on that, that passion scale, you will never withstand the pain. That's gonna take and the heat to get through the startup phase. It's just, you're gonna to take too many bloody noses, too many knockdowns, and you're not gonna to wanna to get up. So if, you are, if, you're, if your passion is a five or a six, you gotta go find something else, because you're just not gonna make it. <clears throat> the other thing that I'll say is, um, separating your vision and your strategy, and we've talked about this before, people will have this vision of what they want to happen, and they'll kinda of lock it down and say, this is what I'm gonna do with my life. Then they'll start a strategy and they'll say, okay, as best as I could get right now, this is what I think I should do. And they're naive thinking that this strategy is gonna fully accomplish the vision. And that will never happen, right? So when the strategy, there's gonna be elements that work and then the wheels are gonna come off and it's not gonna work. And then they're second guessing the vision saying, oh man, I thought this was gonna work. I thought this was the one that was gonna work. They may relaunch it one more time and say, and then they either start scaling back the vision, well even if we do half of that, or they just lose entirely and they go create a new vision. You have to keep the visions and the strategy separate. Once you have great vision, lock that stuff down, stay fixed. But then know when you're going into the strategy, it, it's on the fifth or sixth or seventh refinement of the vision that it's finally gonna pop, the and strategy. then it's gonna, or excuse me, the strategy, and then it's gonna accomplish the vision. So I know when I launch the strategy, even people around would say, you know that's not gonna work, right? I know, I can't wait to launch it and see what happens. Like it's the best I have right now, it's probably not gonna work fully, but I want the data, figure out what did what didn't, and then I'm gonna put it back together, refine, tweak, move, push it back out there. And then on five or six refinements of the strategy, then it actually does accomplish the vision. And we just have to know that going in. So I think keeping that strategy and vision separate is, is a key, because there's an evolution when it comes to our strategy, I love that because I know I teach that a lot to
0: yeah. the clients that I work with as entrepreneurs and they they, they misunderstand and misconstrue the vision the strategy and think that when the vision's not being accomplished, they just need to change it to get a new
1: vision. So I think that's very, very good advice. Or that it affects them so deeply, like personal self-worth, like, I'm a failure, man. I'm like, no, this is the process and it's actually working for you, yeah. stick with
0: it. And you learn more from failure than you do success. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Failure's a much better teacher. Well, Dan, um, I really appreciate you being here, coming to Nashville, to be on the show. Um, I understand you had a very long drive yesterday, because <laughs> yesterday, getting here took twice as long as you thought. Yeah, appreciate you coming in. Uh, how would people get in touch with you if they say, hey, I, wanna, I like this guy. I want to reach out and find a little bit more about him. How would they get in touch with you? It's a great question. I know you stay under the radar, so you may say, you can't.
1: <laughs> you know, that's a really funny thing, and you know me about... So when people think about influence, they think about social influence. I wanna be connected to a lot of people. I I, I'm, I like to be a little, have some anonymity. I like to be behind the scenes. LinkedIn, probably you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. Um, if people pitch me on stuff, and what if people wanna be my friend and they say, hey, I love what I saw on Jason Duncan show, I'd love to connect, I'll connect. I'm a friendly guy, I wanna get into it. But uh, LinkedIn's probably the best way. Yeah, so Dan is
0: V-E-G-A. Yep. So Dan, thank you for being here. It's been an honor to have you on the show. I, I really am glad. I know we were scheduled to do this in San Diego a few months ago and then you got sick, I got sick, neither one of us were able to make it and it was a, it was a tra- tragedy for all of us. But here we are today in
1: Nashville. I'm in the Rhino room, man, it worked out. That's right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, my pleasure, man. Really appreciate it. And hey, congrats on all the success you're having on your show. Thank you. And with your business.
0: Well, there you have it, everybody, another successful entrepreneur verifying these five keys. They happen every time. And as you now know, listening to Dan's story and every other story you've listened to on the show, these keys unlock the doors of success. All you gotta do is use them. Where's your passion level? Are you putting yourself in the right place at the right time? Who, who are you rubbing elbows with? And are you prepared? Are you learning the things that you need to know to be successful in that venture? And what's your plan to get the money? We have a good, and we could probably do 10 shows just on money, how to get it, how to deploy it. Money is out there. Do not use the excuse that I can't get capital. That's a, that, you know, all you have is a lack of creativity, not lack of capital. So make sure that you listen, go back and listen to the show again. Dan gave some really good nuggets of information there. I would like to say this to you as we close out the show today, one of the things that I do is that I help entrepreneurs figure out how to get out of the daily weeds of running a business to exit without exiting, which is what I call it. So if you're interested in understanding how you can live your ideal life now as an entrepreneur, as opposed to waiting until you sell or exit at some point in the future, what if you could have that option today? That's what I do with entrepreneurs every single day. I run a a cohort uh, program called the Exit Accelerator, and I take 12 entrepreneurs just like you through 12 weeks of the curriculum that I used and developed through my exit of a multi-million dollar business to live my ideal life now where I can go ride motorcycles for a week and I can go travel with my wife and I can get in my RV and go wherever I want to go when I want to do it and spend time doing the things like this, doing the show. If you want to get to that ideal life, go to exitwithoutexiting.com. That's exitwithoutexiting.com. Sign up for the next cohort, get in there, give me, what I tell people is give me 24 hours and I'll change your life. Because once you understand that there's this third option, you don't have to stay, you don't have to sell, but there's a third way to do this. You can own it, get all the financial benefits, all the tax benefits, and you don't have to be there every day running it. That is where the ideal life actually shows up. So go to exitwithoutexiting.com. Well, until next time on The Root of All Success, when we talk with yet another very successful
2: entrepreneur, I'm the real Jason Duncan and Jesus is king. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success.